As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. I love the Raiders. Most of all, I love to win. You are now listening to State of the Nation with Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Nguyen, and Deshaun Reed on the Athletic Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to State of the Nation here on the Athletic Podcast Network. Jimmy Durkin, Vic Tafer, Ted Wynn, Deshaun Reed, taking a little bit of time out of, you know, the major tradition of Wednesday afternoon football. We're, we're skipping a little bit of the third quarter to, to talk to you here about the Raiders. And uh, guys, I don't think Wednesday afternoon football is going to take off. It's uh, it, it's not looking too pretty out there. Yeah, I'm not watching it. Is there a game on today? No I'm, I'm kind of intrigued by it. I've, I've been watching. You know, I haven't seen RG3 out there in a while. If Lamar Jackson was playing, I, I'd be a little more locked in. It'd give RG3 a, a chance to, he's, he's not, I mean, he had a couple nice runs, but whatever. We're not here to talk about Raven Steelers. We're here to talk about the Raiders. And if there was a game that you would pick to put on the schedule after a 43-6 to ass whooping, it would be the 0-11 New York Jets. You don't count wins in the NFL. The Raiders can't walk around. Like they've already won Sunday's game just because the Jets have the worst offense in the league and one of the worst defenses in the league. But it's as good an opponent as you could choose to to get yourself back on track to regain confidence if you want to get back into the playoff hunt. Yeah, the Raiders have been doing like the classic college football coach bit where you, you know, hype up the the opposing team, even if it's like a FCS team, you know. Gruden and Derek Carr have been kind of hyping up the Jets all week, but this this team is awful. I saw Vic tweeted it out earlier, like he doesn't see a world where where the Raiders lose this one. I just I've been trying to think of scenarios, and I, I really can't envision one where they they lose to the Jets. If they lose to the Jets, man, Gruden should go back to being a Hooters spokesman and back to Monday Night Football. They can't lose this game. I just think um, they they've lost the average margin of of defeat to uh, winning teams is nineteen points for the Jets this year. So <clears throat> Raiders got to win by at least nineteen this weekend. Uh, Prove everybody they're back on track. They have to do the reverse of what the Falcons did to them. They have to score 40 and keep the Jets under 10 points for it to be a respectable game. All right, so if they lose, Gruden goes back to Hooters, and Gunther's gone, Greg Olson's probably gone, and Tom Cable, because he's kept the offensive line together, he's back as the Raiders' interim coach, right? Or Mark Davis becomes the owner-slash-coach if they lose to the Jets. (laughs) You heard it here first. 
<laughs> they lose to the Jets. He's not allowed in PF Chang's for two months. <laughs> uh, that's mean. That's cruel. But uh, no, it's in all seriousness. I mean, uh, obviously the Jets can't score and they have trouble stopping people. So the Raiders should be able to get back on track running the ball. I think both Josh Jacobs, who's a little banged up, but even Devontae Booker is good enough to have a nice game here. I think the passing game should be in good shape. So no reason they can't put up 30, 40 points in this game and get back on track. Yeah, you look at the Jets' rankings. They are 32nd in total offense, obviously out of 32 teams. They are slightly better running the ball with uh, with 52-year-old Frank Gore. They are 26th in the league in rushing offense, 32nd in passing offense, 32nd in points per game. 32nd in third down offense and 32nd in red zone offense. That's awful. I mean, and, and we can get into their defense, which is 28th in total defense. 30th in pass defense is pretty good against the run 11th. And, and I think fifth in, uh, in uh, yards per attempt allowed, but 29th in points per game. Adam Gase, I, I don't know why he even still has a job. Uh, I guess they just don't want to bother firing him until the end of the season or, or whatnot. But I guess maybe if they really want Trevor Lawrence, keeping Adam Gase around is the surest way to make sure they don't win any games. Yeah, he's done a great job. I mean, he's been, he's been the perfect <laughs> perfect coach for this mess. I mean, uh, just uh, takes all the abuse, says stupid stuff, does stupid stuff on the field. I mean, he's, in, he's incredible. He's a legend. And when they get Trevor Lawrence and – they got. It. I figure at that point they got to fire him, but who knows? Maybe they can reward him for for this year by giving him a shot with Trevor Lawrence. But uh, I know, like Derek Carr mentioned today, that like last year the Jets kicked their butts and really said beat the crap out of them, and that's what everyone's going to say. But if I recall, that Jets team had some players on defense this year. I'm not sure they have anybody on defense, so I don't think it's the same. It's the same thing. That was the Jamal Adams game, right? And then and then we had the the Twitter aftermath with uh, Jamal Adams and Darren Carr going after it, and uh, right that that was that game. Yeah, that was the game, man. Yeah. That was uh, that was fun. Yeah, I loved how the uh, Jets media had Adam Gase on a stand at their press conference when they're questioning about who uh, who was actually calling the plays, and they're just grilling him. And then later on, he admitted he was the one actually calling plays. The Jets are a mess right now, but I mean, just to look at some potential bright spots for the Jets, they are fifth in yards per carry. Rookie left tackle Makai Becton looks like he could be one of the best left tackles in the league. He's when he's played, his uh, his numbers have been pretty good, not giving up any pressures. Uh, on the other side, of the ball, their defensive tackle they drafted last year. Uh, I, Quinn and Williams is playing pretty. Yeah, he's playing pretty well right now. You forgot. You forgot his name, man. That's not. That's not a good sign. <laughs> what are the three positives about? This I can't team? remember. Forgot his name. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean the Raiders. Uh, they should be fine. I can't imagine. I mean, and for me, people are talking about if they win on Sunday. I'm sure we'll hear about people saying it's a bounce back game, but. It really is not. They got to beat the Jets and then the Colts the next week to bounce back from the Falcons game. In my in my opinion, obviously, if they if they somehow lose this game, like like it's a wrap, of course, for the Raiders. But yeah, I, I, just, I just can't see it. The Jets the Jets are like one of the worst teams I've ever seen. I'm not that old, but like they're they are awful. You look at the Raiders; they are um, a lot of guys were missing from practice on Wednesday. They're they're not you know obviously back at full health or anything, but they are starting to get some guys returning. Um, as Tashawn tweeted for the first time since uh, what early November, since November fourth, they did not have a player on the COVID nineteen list. As uh, Trent Brown is is back at practice, won't play on Sunday, but um, 
could hopefully return against the uh, the Colts. They've got Cleveland Furl back, who talked about his experience with the virus. Uh, they've got Lamarcus Joyner back, so they are starting to uh, to build that defense back up. Yeah, I think I think Furl will have a bigger role in, in, in inside than even outside because it looks like Malik Collins is going on the IR. It's funny because uh, we asked uh, Gruden what his injury was. He mentioned a, a previous shoulder injury. Then when the injury report came out, it said hamstring slash ankle. Which is a pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty far, pretty bizarre injury. But uh, so it, obviously, I want to give him a break. He's got a three week break now. Maybe he can get back on track when he gets back. But um, to say he won't be missed is uh, maybe a little mean, but also pretty, pretty accurate. He hasn't done much in the field this year, so I think Klee might move inside. We'll see if Mohurst is back this week from his injury. But um, yeah, that's one change in the defensive front for the Raiders this week. Yeah, the Hurst situation, like he played against the Falcons, but um, he didn't practice today with the injury, so I don't know if he. He didn't play all that much from what I can remember, so I don't know if he re-aggravated it. But, yeah, if he can't go, you would imagine they would they would slide over Klee. I know they like Kendall Vickers, but I don't know how – especially with Carl Nassib playing a little bit better in Arden Key, I think that's probably your best best move under that scenario. And I know, like, you look at the scoreboard last week, giving up, you know, four, over 40 points. I think we were all in agreement that they didn't really play that bad, you know. I mean, the the offense committed a bunch of turnovers, and, and often they committed turnovers in their own territory, which which gave the Falcons a short field to work with. And the Falcons, I think they only averaged like four point two yards per play. So the defense wasn't didn't really struggle that badly against the Falcons. And you know, as you said, with guys getting back healthy and going against the worst offense in the league, you would think that they would be due for another good performance this week. Yeah, it was sixteen snaps for Mo Hurst. Um, on Sunday uh, in Atlanta, so with uh, with Collins out, assuming he's he's okay, you know, maybe the Wednesday is just more of a of a rehab day. Kind of weird that you know they're obviously all the NFL teams are in this position where they guys could come in for treatment on Monday or Tuesday, but uh, really the the facilities were otherwise closed. So Wednesday might have been a little bit more of an easing in than normal, just because they uh, they had to close the facility for a couple of days and they couldn't really uh, get as much work done. Yeah, I wouldn't be too alarmed by the guys that were missing today, or well, most of them anyway. Like, I know Josh Jacobs, you know, people have been worried about him. Uh, he didn't practice today. And, you know, Wednesday, I think it's typically that day where if guys are going to take a day off to rest, that's that's the one. Um, and they come back Thursday and Friday. So I wouldn't be too too alarmed this early in the week. I think it is a little concerning that Hurst didn't play much against against the Falcons, though, because Collins was terrible in that game, and I was – expecting to get yanked any second but person play much he, he didn't practice today so we'll see what happens to that situation but i, I think if he's healthy he's going to be a, a big upgrade over collins as a starter yeah I, I mean imagine the the limited snaps or just the fact that they were still easing him back in off the injury and obviously the fact that he is still on the injury report he's not 100 percent. so um we'll, we'll see if he can they can kind of ramp up that workload but speaking of workload i know vic you've kind of suggested that it wouldn't be the worst idea to to say, hey, let's try to win this game with uh, Devontae Booker. But obviously, Gruden, Josh Jacobs, that's that's just not in their vocabulary to even think about having Jacobs if he's physically capable of playing, even if he's not 100%, which he obviously isn't. Even if, he, if he's physically capable of playing, that that's not even in the vocabulary to consider that. No, it's not. And I even asked Ingold. We had Al Ingold on the Zoom today, and he's playing with broken ribs, obviously, which pretty amazing but he um he says you know josh is a mail carrier and both those guys love football take their jobs very seriously and have no thought about not playing games if they if they can so even banged up those guys both be in there 
on, on Sunday, get the, try to get the run game going. So I think we'll see maybe, might see less of Jacobs, maybe more carries for Booker, but definitely will play uh, and probably play pretty well against the Jets. Yeah, and this happened this season. I think it was, what, the Broncos game where Devontae Booker was the, the leading scorer and took more carries than Jacobs. So um, even when he's not, like, you know, super banged up, they, they've been able to manage his carries in, in certain games this season. So especially if they get out to, to a sizable lead against the Jets, then I don't see much reason to, like, you know, give Jacobs 30 carries or anything crazy like that. Yeah, I mean, that Broncos game, a lot of that wasn't at, like, fourth quarter. They went away from Jacobs because they were – so far ahead, so they were able to let Booker kind of close that game out. Jacobs played last season with a dislocated shoulder, and he was banging into guys too. He wasn't shying away from contact, so he he's as tough as they come. And uh, you know, I think if there's any hope of him playing, he, he's going to do it. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. All right, we're going to jump uh, jump over into some State of the Nation mail questions. We've got a, a pretty good mail bag here today. Uh, we'll start with one from uh, 1V. Is it time for Greg Olson to participate in making calls when they are struggling on offense? Uh, do other teams have Gruden's play calling down at this point in the season, or is it time for Carr to stop changing the plays, the play called as often as he's doing so? Um, I mean, Vic, you kind of criticized the the opening script from Gruden this past uh, Sunday, and I think rightfully so. But generally, his opening scripts and, and his play calling has been pretty good this year. Yeah, I think he had a bad week. I think he's been pretty – I mean, before – coming off that Chiefs game, everyone was loving his play calling and, and cars play at quarterback. So they had a really bad week. I'm not sure uh, Greg Olson will take over anytime soon. I think you know, also you got to give Raheem Morris credit. Raheem Morris obviously knows Gruden very well from the days together. I mean, he called Gruden his mentor. So he definitely had that, some idea what was coming on some of those plays. So I think familiarity was a big part of it on, on, on Sunday. And, um, yeah, I think the, the play calling should be fine, I imagine, the rest of the way. I think they've done a good job this year overall. Yeah, Gruden's been good. And Carr, his audibles have been good throughout the season. I don't think you just panic after – one game and throw all that away. I do think there might be something to the fact that all the audibles were so clearly on the Sunday night game and maybe they did have a little tip. So maybe they do have to change some of their calls at the line. But as long as he's a head coach, he's not going to give up play calling. That's something that he loves to do. That's one of his specialties. And and one of Carr's strengths is being able to read defenses and change plays at the line of scrimmage. All right, question here from Anders P. And I'm gonna I'm gonna say the question and then kind of correct some of the points that he makes because uh, he's he's a little bit off here. But he says uh, there are a lot of rumblings about Gruden's ability to evaluate talent. Is that criticism legit? Mariota, Collins, Littleton, on and on. When he won with the Raiders, he inherited a veteran team, and this is where. I'm going to correct some of the stuff. Gannon, Brown, Woodson, et cetera. And they didn't rely on players that Gruden brought in. Then he did the same in Tampa with Dungy's team. As soon as he had to build that team, he failed pretty miserably. Should he just coach and let others find the players? Where we'll correct some of that is Woodson was his first ever draft pick. And he wasn't obviously in charge of personnel back then. But Woodson was a rookie in Gruden's rookie season coaching. Um, and Gannon was brought in 
in Gruden's second year there. So he had to have at least some role there in bringing in Gannon and uh, and was already the coach when they drafted Woodson. So you can't exactly say that he didn't have those aren't players that he, he brought in. But obviously there was that criticism in Tampa Bay that, you know, he won with Dungy's team and then wanted to, to rebuild it in, in his way and never could. And uh, we certainly know that that's was a criticism when he joined the Raiders again, is that he wanted to tear down the team that had been built by Reggie McKenzie. What do you guys think of that criticism? I mean, if you look at some of their picks and how they're developing, I think they actually drafted pretty well. I mean, Colin Farrell, he's a good player, but he's not a guy that, you know, you've, you've envisioned being drafted at number four. Colton Miller worked out, you know, guys like Trayvon Mullen worked out. I think the problem with is him overvaluing certain veterans in, in free agency. But as far as drafting, so far, he, he hasn't done bad. Yeah, it's a weird thing. I mean, they, I mean, you can say that their, their free agent signings have been pretty bad, at least the major ones over the last couple of years in terms of value. But, you know, the draft has turned out pretty well for them so far. So I don't, I don't know how you can say, you know, he's terrible one in and then praise all these young draft picks. You know, I think it's a mixed bag so far. So I think it's still a little bit early on when it comes to evaluating that kind of stuff. Like he could do a better job, obviously. Like Marcus Mariota was a big mistake and Corey Littleton hasn't lived up to his value. And, you know, they haven't gotten a lot of value out of Trent Brown yet either. And Tyrell Williams, guys like that, LaMarcus Joyner. So it's, it's fair to criticize, but I think it might be going a little bit too far with saying that he's just incapable of doing it. I was going to go back to the question. He's asked, if, should he take a, uh, a step back and not and not do it? Well, that's never that's never going to happen. I mean, I, I know Gruden knows the narrative about the Buccaneers, like how you won with Dungy's players. And I think that's one of the reasons he came back. The coach, again, wants to prove he can do it his way with his guys, guys he brings in. So he's not going to back down from personnel duties, I think. Um, he had some hits and misses in the draft and bigger misses in free agency, but I don't see anything changing as far as the future goes, as far as him having the last say on, on personnel. Yeah, man, this guy's 10-year, $100 million. If you want to give a play calling and build a <laughs> roster, come on, man. Oh, you got to get your money's worth. Mike Mayock has helped them kind of calm down, though. I think there was a little more rashness to Raiders' decision-making before Mayock came in. It seems like they think about doing things before making these huge rash moves now. It helps to have the coach and the GM discussing decisions. I think seven point five million to a certain quarterback is still pretty rash, but I'm not gonna go. I'm not gonna say his name because I get blamed for talking about him too much. All right, question from Fergus S. He says it feels like this team is incredible when they're on their game, and that other than the second Chiefs game, every loss has been because the offense got sloppy with ball security and penalties. In your opinion, do you think this team has it in them to clean it up enough to make the playoffs in a tight field? And he also sends in a second message. A big thanks to you guys for the excellent coverage in a tough year for everyone, especially with the reduced access for Vic and Deshaun. Cheers from the UK. That's from Fergus. So uh, cheers back to you, Fergus. Um, penalties lately have been an issue, but early on they were among the, the least penalized teams in the league. Turnovers, they were they were doing really well um, up until this last game, really. So, I mean, I think they, they definitely have what it takes to, you know, if you kind of toss out, this game as being a, a turnover and penalty anomaly and some of these more recent games as being a little bit of anomalies on the penalties, uh, they certainly have what it takes to, to be a team that can play more disciplined. Yeah, I think this, you know, kind of this recent stretch might just be some of their youth and inexperience showing. You know, I know, you know, a lot of those second year guys, you know, obviously were here last year when they had the same record at this point and kind of fell apart. So, you know, it might be some nerves involved with that getting a little bit tight. You tend tend to make more mistakes when you play that way. And so 
you know, I think that might be factoring into it. I think those are correctable mistakes, you know, both with the, the penalties and the turnovers. You know, given that those those weren't issues for the majority of the season, you know, and this was this is really their first time having this kind of flare up, you you would think they'd be able to bounce back from it. But if they aren't, you know, of course it's gonna be a major issue with their their chances of making the playoffs. I mean, they're not making a ton of like false start type of penalties, but they do have to clean up the, the roughing the passer penalties. Those are just killer. Those are the type of penalties where you could work on. You know, you could do some drills and maybe lighten up on a quarterback before you, you hit him. They could clean those up. And I, like you guys said, it wasn't a huge problem throughout the season, and it's something that could get cleaned up. All right. Eddie C., as a fan, last Sunday sucked. Thankfully, since the game was early, I didn't plan to drink any alcohol till halftime. But <laughs> but since the game felt almost out of hand by then, I ended up not drinking at all. And that would have been a complete waste of alcohol. I'm trying to be happy while I drink. So it's a great like lead into the question. But that's beside the point. My question is, how do you guys think this team compares to the magic that was the 2016 team? Looking back, it feels like we had a lot of things go our way in 2016, and that makes me feel like this team might be better than 2016. I think that was a feeling back in that season that, I mean, 12-4 and was, that was a season where everything really went their way. I mean, they maybe, you know, maybe were they talent-wise more of a 9-10 win team, but, but they had everything break their way. And I mean, in the NFL, a few breaks can shift you to, to from a nine, 10 win team to a 12 win team. 2016, there was definitely a lot of breaks that went the Raiders way. They won a lot of close games. And, you know, when you look back at the NFL, when the team typically wins a bunch of games by a close margin, things start to regress to the mean. And, you know, they end up losing a bunch of those games the next year. And that's exactly what happened with the Raiders. I, I do think this season they are better. They they played some tough opponents and their offense just looks so much more crisp. They're not dependent on big plays. So I, I do think this team is better than the 2016 team. But yeah, they're just not getting the breaks that they did during that season. I think the offense um, is somewhat comparable, but I think the two things that have not been like 2016 are the old line that year was obviously dominant. They also were healthy. They kind of stuck together for most of the year. This one's kind of been falling apart, so that's been a big issue. And then I think in 2016, whenever things really got rough, like it was a key play, you knew Carr was going to Crabtree. He definitely had that confidence, and he was almost too much confidence at times, but that was always a security blanket, and he made a lot of big plays, where this year, you, there's times you think Waller could be that guy, or maybe Aguilar could be that guy at certain games, but it hasn't been consistent. Waller hasn't been that kind of a force since that early game against the Saints, so I think that's still missing as far as a guy who Carr knows he can go to and on a huge play. Renfro's kind of that guy at times, but even 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 him, not really. So I think you need more confidence in, 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 with Carr and his receivers the rest of the way. That 2016 team also did have one guy on the defensive side of the ball that could take over a game for you, and they weren't a great defense. We're never going to say that they were, but they did have a guy that you look at the Carolina game where there was there was a defensive player who could take over a game for you, and they don't have that right now. All right, uh, question here from Jack H. Jimmy, since the four of you aren't really Raider fans and can look at the team objectively, do any of you think that Gruden and or Carr can win a Super Bowl with the Raiders? And I'm not really talking about this year. Are Gruden and Carr capable, if they can build this thing the right way, I think is what he's asking, of winning a Super Bowl? Do, do those two guys have what it takes? And obviously Gruden is a guy that has won one before. Can they team up if they can get the pieces together on defense? 
I think the offense is good enough to win if they had an average defense. But since their defense is so, you just don't know what to expect of them from week to week. You can't single them out and say they're a real Super Bowl contender. But I really do believe the offense is good enough when healthy if they have an, just an average defense to be Super Bowl contenders. We've seen them hang with the Chiefs. I mean, the, you know, the Chiefs are by far the best team in the NFL right now, I think. That's it's the strides they've made this year against the Chiefs. I think um, whether they were last year in the game because the Chiefs were where they've been this year, I think it shows you that there is obviously some growth that has happened and also room for more growth, I think. So I think definitely those two have come a long way this year, Carr and Gruden. I think there's hope they can – I could, yeah, and some reasonable belief they can keep going and keep building on that and have even better offense next year. So I think the offense should be good enough to get them on that level at some point if the defense can get a little bit better. Like all the pieces are there in terms of the offense. Like I think Carr has shown this year that he has potential to play at an elite level in moments, if, if maybe not over the course of an entire season. Which is, I mean, you only need those moments when when the playoff time comes to to get you over that hump. But obviously, they have an elite running back in Josh Jacobs. They have, you know, when it's healthy, an elite offensive line, an elite receiver, uh, receiving threat in Darren Waller. So the offense, I think, has Super Bowl potential, but. Um, I'm just I'm just not sure about the defense. If you know that they have some young talent, you know Max Crosby's of the world and, and Trayvon Mullen and, and Cleve Farrell, but I don't know if they're they're going to reach that point to where you're good enough to beat the teams that you're going to have to get through to to make it to the Super Bowl, uh, let alone win it. You know, we're just talking about the Chiefs or uh, the Titans or or, just, or the Steelers. You know, not to say that those teams are going to be there two three years down the line at the same capacity, but I just don't know if on this timeline with the current staff they have in place, if the defense is going to be good enough to to hold up in the playoffs or, or create some plays in the playoffs to, to swing the game in your favor. Yeah, it feels like they need that one guy, right? That At least that one guy that can single-handedly create points for you, can, can get a pick six, can get a strip sack that, that leads to points. And uh, until they have that, I don't see them as a true Super Bowl contender. But, you know, if they can find a way, I mean – those guys are hard to find, um, so we'll see. But all right, last question here. I'm going to kind of balance. I'm kind of combine two questions here that are both a little bit about the the reporter player relationship. Uh, Emmanuel M asked, uh, as reporters, how do you balance criticizing a player or calling out their overall performance and building a relationship with them to do your job? And then along those lines, uh, Garrett H asked, after some funny interactions these past couple of weeks from Vic to Sean with Gruden and Carr, it had me wondering which players and coaches have been the best to cover over the years for you so uh favorite players to cover and how do you balance uh objectively calling out poor performances with trying to build relationships yeah i think the you know balancing being objective is pretty easy for me uh, especially like since i'm not a fan of the raiders and i wasn't a fan of florida state when i covered them like it's just really simple to just tell it how it is and be fair in your evaluation and not swing too far in either direction when it comes to on-field stuff. I mean, if a guy has a bad game, you don't call him trash and say he's hopeless, you know. Hey, wait till you get in the locker room, though. That's because you don't have locker room access. No, we, I'm saying when I critique guys, I don't use that kind oh, of language. Okay, yeah. Like, I, I, I use it pretty – it's pretty balanced and even, and it's not like I'm I'm going overboard with it. So, I mean, you can get mad at me for, for saying you don't – you didn't play well in the game, but chances are I have statistics or film or whatever I can point to and be like, well, you didn't have a good game, man. So it's that part's pretty easy for me personally anyway. Um, as far as the favorite player, I guess 
I haven't really had the chance to interact with anybody with, with not having locker room access in my first year. But Alec Engel gave the media a shout out today, so I'll say him. We'll him. It's the first time that's happened this season. Yeah, for me, I don't really, I don't write anything that I wouldn't say in someone's face. So I think, especially in the years past, when we had locker room access, if I wrote something, I'd always see the guys next day in locker rooms. They either the guys give me a hard time, they give me, you know, they, they don't like what I read or thought I went too far. But it's good to have a conversation and dialogue, go back and forth. So I think it's a healthy respect back and forth. Um, as far as my favorite guys, I used to always enjoy that back corner of the locker room. Had uh, for a while there it was Richard Seymour, Tommy Kelly, John Henderson. Those are guys who were great. Just kind of uh, wise and also kind of give you a hard time also and kind of go back and forth. And all those kind of guys over the years. Justin Tuck was the same way. Just so I kind of lean towards defensive guys. My defensive McLeal, obviously now Max. Those guys I can kind of go back and forth with and kind of uh, give each other a hard time. I, I enjoy that part of my job. Donald Penn was 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 fun to chat with. I mean, Jalen Richard has always been, you know, just kind of one of those, you know, guys that's always around and and available back when we were hanging out in the locker room. So he was uh he was always good. Those are the two that kind of jump out. I mean, you know, Charles Woodson when he was around, I mean, he wouldn't spend a ton of time in the locker room, but when he would, when he would talk to him, he was just so damn good that you you couldn't help but just uh enjoy kind of just the, the perspective he had and, and kind of all the insight that he would give you. And, and you got to give the shout out to him that he was probably the, the one guy ever that his re- retirement didn't leak or anything. It, it wasn't some big national press conference. He, he just walked into the media room one day and like, Hey, I'm coming to, to tell you guys first that I'm announcing my retirement. So, uh, uh, I think we all always appreciated that, that he, uh, that he gave that to us first. All right, let's time to make some predictions and let's see who is going to get on the bad side of Raiders fans by picking the Jets. Or may- maybe the good side, maybe. I dare I dare you to pick the Jets, any of you guys. I dare you. Double dare. Maybe we should all pick the Jets. I bet you our listeners would love it if we picked the Jets because obviously we all picked them to beat the Falcons and they got beat 43-6. to six. So, no, nah, I mean, I'm going to go 38-20 Raiders. They're not going to beat that 19 point spread that Vic has set for the uh, their margin of victory against a uh, margin of defeat against uh, winning teams, but they beat them by 18, 38, 20 uh, offense gets healthy defense plays, you know, reasonably well. And Frank Gore gets a touchdown. I got it. I usually don't give a score, but I'll go 41 to 17 Raiders because the Jets suck. Basically that's math. Reasoning and hashtag analysis, yeah. but uh, no, I think the offense they avoid having a, a turnover meltdown this week, and I just don't think the Jets are good enough to stop them with how they've played uh, so far this season. And then they're off. I mean, the Raiders' defense isn't good, but I think them getting back healthy this week and going against you know the league's worst offense, they're able to hold them in check. I know it's supposed to be, I guess, a cold weather game. I'm not sure if there's going to be wind or anything like that, but I think regardless, the Raiders are going to put up a bunch of points on them. I'm going to go inverse of the score last week. Raiders 43, Jets 6, and Hunter Renfro goes over 80 yards and a touchdown. Wow, well, bonus. 43-6, huh? I'll go uh, 37-14 to 14 Raiders. I actually look forward to this because we all picked the Raiders, so that means either Tim or Marcus will pick the Jets, so they can be opposite us, so I'll enjoy seeing that in print. But, um, yeah, I just can't imagine. I can't, again, if they lose this game, then you can just burn the whole thing down. Yeah, it's a wrap. If they lose this, it's, they might as well stop. It's, it's over with. Stop the season. That's it. End it. <laughs> Just kill it. Done. Uh, looks like, all right, so it looks like the Sunday, early Sunday forecast so far is 
43, mostly cloudy. But uh, the day before, and sometimes weather pushes back a day, the day before is 45 with downpours, 84% chance of rain. So uh, if uh, that ends up pushing into Sunday, it could be uh, could be a little tough and and. All of our uh, our high scoring predictions for the Raiders might uh, might turn out like Cleveland, but uh, we'll see. So if it, if it's the, the wind will probably be the big factor there, but um, and the Saturday forecast does say downpours and breezy in the PM. So uh, if that happens to, to push in the Sunday, then uh, our predictions could again look completely stupid because we forgot to check the weather report because we never check the weather report until after <laughs> we pick a score. So. Oh well, what are you what are you gonna do? We'll just do an asterisk. Take off ten points from each score if the weather's bad. So that's all our picks. Just subtract ten points if it's windy or rainy. Ted's will be thirty three to knit to minus yeah, one. Negative, negative. No, to minus, <laughs> negative four. To minus four. All right, guys. Well, we will talk to you again on Sunday night after the Raiders presumably beat the New York Jets. All right, y'all. Peace. Later. Adios. Hey, football fans, this is Diana Rossini from The Athletic. Get the top stories in pro football snapped directly to your inbox with our latest NFL newsletter, Scoop City. Jacob Robinson and I will bring you the daily scoop of top NFL articles, posts, and podcasts every Monday to Friday. Sign up for free now at theathletic.com backslash scoop.